morning journey. Sorry, I had to turn my mic on. I got caught singing a couple weeks ago uh, afterwards, so I try to keep it off unless I'm up here. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. My name is Nathan McCallum, and uh, I get the pleasure of preaching God's Word this week. Uh, and so if, you're, uh, if you weren't here last week, we actually started a new series through the letter of Paul to the churches at Philippi. Uh, so Philippians is what is known typically most people in the Bible. And so we started it last week, and we began working through this. We were calling the sermon series Gospel Joy and Gospel Power. And basically uh, began last week looking at it, Philippians 1 through 11. Um, And so really just real quick, a refresher. If you weren't here last week, of course, you can always go watch it online. But just a quick refresher about the context of the letter of Philippians. Paul planted the church in Philippi around 50 AD on his second missionary journey there. And God just, man, God just moved with gospel power in Philippi, a Roman colony predominantly settled by former Roman officers, a very nationalistic <clears throat> church or a nationalistic colony, and yet God moves in power and stirs up joy there in Rome. And now we find ourselves around 11 years later, 11 years after uh, Paul planted this church, and we find ourselves, uh, hold on just a second. ourselves there. Uh, now Paul is in prison in Rome. Uh, Paul, <clears throat> Paul is there in Rome, chained uh, in chains. That's what his imprisonment is. And the Philippian church is concerned for him. I mean, they, they see that he's preaching the gospel and now they know he's in prison in Rome. It's, he, he's under house arrest. And so in their concern, they send Epaphroditus to him with some gifts. And Paul receives the gifts and then sends Epaphroditus back with this letter to encourage the church. And so last week we did verses 1 through 11, and we really kind of honed in on verse 6, which says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we just basically said that God completes what he starts. God completes what he starts, both in you in us as a church, and we can be confident that God will complete the work he began here at Journey, and you can be confident that God will complete the work he began in you because he finishes what he starts. He finishes what he starts. And so now Paul's transitioning in his letter, and I don't know what your experience was if you've grown up in church much. I'm a preacher's kid, so I grew up in church, and we used to have what I, what I kind of call like missions reports or missionary reports. I remember as a kid, uh, we would have missionaries that we would partner with as a church and they would come, uh, they would come to the church and they would, they would bring, there used to be these things called cameras. Like you couldn't put it to your phone, to your ear and call somebody. It was just a camera and they would take photos and then they would put them in these things called slides, not like these, not Excel slides or, or PowerPoint slides, but but just slides, like in a projector, and it would actually shoot onto a screen. And so they would do that, you know, and so like if we're partnering with this church, maybe, maybe we've prayed for some people they're trying to minister to, and so they might be like, yeah, here's me sharing, 
sharing uh, a meal with uh, John. You guys have been praying for John. And, and here, here's Susan and I, you know, you guys have been praying for Susan. We've really been trying to lead her to the Lord. And, and I just remember like always thinking those were cool until it was time for the message and then the prayer. And I was scared to death as a young kid that God would call my dad and mom to be missionaries like in Africa because I had friends that were. And I was always like, oh God, please. Like, I don't even want to listen to, I don't even want to pray. I want to think about something else completely. I just don't want to hear you call me. And then as I got older, it was like, I don't want you to call me. I mean, I was just, I remember mission reports were always like really cool. And then also like a little nerve wracking for me. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul's doing here. As he transitions, he's, he's kind of fill them in about how the gospel's going where he is. Like, this is how the mission is going currently. But at the same time, he's not just trying to fill them in. He's trying to encourage them because they are discouraged at his current situation. And so as Brenna already read, we're in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And as we look at this passage, <clears throat> here's what I think that we will see. I mean, Paul is, he's, he's trying to assuage their, their fears a little bit. Uh, he's trying to encourage them a little bit because likely not only is he suffering, but they are probably suffering. When Paul was in Philippi, he was beat, he was flogged. And, and he also says in verse 29, just of this chapter that they're suffering. And so we know that there's, there's not just fear for Paul, but even maybe internal fear for them as they're suffering there in Philippi and he's encouraging him. He wants to encourage them despite his chains, despite his chains, despite his imprisonment. And so when we look at it, I've, I've titled the message, The Gospel Unchained. The Gospel Unchained. What do I mean by that? Well, I think when we look at the text that we've already read, that we will see a, a few things. It's gonna teach us a few things. It's gonna teach us first that there are two chains typically applied to the gospel. Now, there may, there's definitely others, but in the text, we see two chains applied to the gospel message. We see how the gospel actually bursts the chains. So two chains applied to the gospel message, how the gospel bursts the chains. And then I think we'll see the perspective that we need to unchain the gospel in our lives and how we actually get that perspective. So two chains apply to the gospel, how the gospel bursts those chains, and then the perspective that we actually need to unchain the gospel in our lives and how do we actually get that perspective. So that's kind of where we're going. <clears throat> and we'll start there in verse, in verse 12 of chapter one. Notice how he starts. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. Now, I'll stop there. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. You see, the first question when you read that would be like, well, what, what's happened to Paul? And as we've already kind of mentioned, he's, he's in Rome under house arrest, and he's waiting to be heard by Caesar Nero, not a very good guy. He doesn't really know how this is going to play out. So he's, he's waiting to be heard by Caesar Nero. He's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And you can imagine like for a missionary to be chained to a Roman guard, it would be like a singer losing their voice. It'd be like a, a, a pitcher unable to feel anymore with his hands it would be very difficult for a missionary, the most prolific missionary the church has ever known, 
to be isolated in a home, chained to a guard. And so what I'm just saying is the first chain that we see in the text is the chain of persecution. The chain of persecution. Because that's really what's happening to Paul. And that's also what's happening probably in Philippi. A chain of persecution. And it's not new for Paul, as I already mentioned. Like when he was in Philippi, he preached the gospel. He was beat. He was flogged. He was put in jail. It's not unusual for Paul to have persecution. And it wasn't unusual for them either. And it's honestly... It just wasn't an easy time for people to be Christians. Their experience wasn't like ours in America. It was not easy for them. And so it's the chain of persecution. And here's what the chain of persecution is like. The chain of persecution is typically applied from the world. It's applied outside of the church, but to the gospel message. And it's interesting that Paul is sitting here with the gospel proclaiming the gospel and being persecuted because before he came to Christ, he did that very thing. He would round up Christians and would bring them back and haul them back to Jerusalem and have them stand trial. He was there when Stephen was stoned. This was Saul of Tarsus. This was Saul who when Christ met on that road, he's on the way to Damascus to round up more Christians and Jesus, basically a blinding light, blinds Saul and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Paul was a persecutor and now he's the persecuted. And the reality is that the chain of persecution around the gospel, the chain of persecution around the gospel has been a scheme of the enemy for 2000 years. It's been a scheme of the enemy for 2000 years. Y'all do know that we have an enemy, right? This has been a scheme that Ephesians 6 says that the devil has schemes. He has plans and ways to try to prevent the gospel from going forth. And one of the schemes is persecution. It looks like this, lock them up, intimidate them, instill fear, take their life the chain of persecution. This happened to Jesus. This happened to the majority of his disciples, not just instill fear, not just beat and intimidate, but take their life because of the gospel. And not only did it happen to Jesus, not only did it happen to the disciples and the apostles, it happens still today. Across Christian history, many have given their life for Jesus. And while the last decade, according to uh, some of the research I read this week, the last decade has actually seen a large decrease in martyrs across the world, 2021 actually was one of the worst years in some time for our brothers and sisters all over the world. The chain of persecution and happens right now. If you look at opendoorusa.org, the top 10 most dangerous countries to be a Christian are all in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. There's still places in our world where it is extremely dangerous to preach Christ. This is a scheme of the enemy. And sometimes 
the enemy is able to use the chain of persecution in a region of our world and use it for a long time. I <clears throat> reached out to one of our mission partners this week and asked him about this. And he had told me some stories that in a country not very far from where they are, where it's so dangerous for people to proclaim the gospel, that it's, that it's been a hard time even taking root there and, and really ever. And so what would happen is if, if you came to faith in a country like this, you would, you would escape for fear of your own life. And yet at the same time, not just beyond these borders, in Asia, in Africa, the gospel's exploding because the chain of persecution doesn't snuff out the gospel, but it's still a scheme of the enemy. And we see it all over the world. We don't see it here. Like we're still very blessed here, but I do believe we're trending in that direction. Now, how long that takes and when do we ever get there? I don't know. But I, I do believe this, that we are seeing the chain of persecution happen in all over the world and even possibly trying to come here because this is a scheme that the enemy has tried to use for a long time. And I'll just be clear, part of the reason I'm talking about today is I don't know how equipped we really are in America to deal with that. Persecution was a reality then. It's still a reality today in many parts of the world, but let's get back to the story how did Paul's missionary report say the chain of persecution has fared against the gospel in Rome at the time? Well, what does he say? Back to verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul says that persecution really serve to advance the gospel. So first, notice the word advance. It's interesting, it's the Greek word prokope, and it sounds very similar to the Greek word proskope, which means to hinder or to stumble. So he uses a literary word to kind of make you think he's gonna say hindrance, like my chains have been a hindrance, but instead he says they've been an advance. Here's what Gordon Fee says about it. He says, we would expect to hear Paul say that what had happened to him, his imprisonment, was a proscope, a hindrance. But Paul surprises us by saying that his imprisonment was a prokope, an advance. Why would Paul use a play on words here? Why would he do that? I think he wants them to understand because they are so discouraged and afraid that what is actually, what he says, what has happened to me has really, has really. Now you're like, well, that's a very common word. That's not very exciting. But if you think about what Paul is saying is they intended it to do this, but really what happened was this. The chain of persecution was intended to hinder the gospel, but really it caused an advancement of the gospel. Some of your translations may say the word actually. It's as if to say they wanted this to happen. This is their intent, but actually this is what happened. How could the gospel be advancing against these odds? Well, for starters, Paul is literally chained to a Roman guard all day long. Imagine being chained to Paul. 
I mean, I was thinking about this. I'm like, what, what would it be like? What's some contextual things that we could say? Imagine if you were chained to Chip and Joanna all day. You would know after 24-7, chained to Chip and Joanna, you'd hear a lot of corny jokes. That's Chip. You would know like which rooms need an archway to separate it out well and which ones should be more squared off. And if you do the squared off, you might find some issues. And if you do the archway, you may have to rip it down. You would know a lot about shiplap. If you were chained to Chip, what if you were chained to John Rooney, the voice of the Cardinals? He's on the radio. Most of y'all probably don't even know what a radio is. But the voice of the Cardinals, if you were chained to John Rooney all day, you would know even more details about the Cardinals, maybe some batting averages, maybe, maybe some things that slip by you. I've got a five-year-old. Uh, if I was chained to dude perfect all day, it would be tough. God, God uses them, they're awesome, but man, they are loud. You, you could imagine what it's like to be chained to them. Imagine what it's like to be chained to the most prolific missionary the world's ever seen. Like I, I can just imagine, you know, they roll in and I mean, it really, it's like drawing straws. I remember I used to draw straws as a kid with my sister, like do we, you know, the shorter straw has to do the dishwasher, the longer straw has to clean the bathroom. You want the shorter straw in that scenario. Um, it's so like, I can just imagine the guards being like, oh, who's got to go deal with Paul? I mean, it's got to be like the worst job apart from actually being the one that had to guard the tomb of Christ. Because I can just imagine a, a guard comes in and Paul's like, okay, you want to chain me to this hardened Roman guard? That's cool. You know, hey man. And the guard's like, what are you doing in here? Oh, glad you asked. Let me tell you about Jesus because I'm imprisoned for my chains. I'm in chains for Christ. And he's like, ah, so then they swap out and the next guy comes in. He's like, don't talk to him. And he's like, hey man, kind of nice to meet you. Uh, did the last guy tell you about Jesus? No, no, I'd love to. I mean, I could just imagine, don't tell me about Jesus and great, you know, Paul's really good at contextualizing. I could see him like, oh, I like your sword. Kind of reminds me of the sword of the spirit. You know, it's just, what can you do? He is chained to a Roman guard. And part of the reason that that is, or that's part of the reason that the gospel advances and I want us to see like he's not just hoping that his good behavior and his joy while he's in chains is like the only witness to the gospel because the gospel's good news it's a message we preach Christ and while it's vital that our actions match our message the gospel is good news of what Jesus accomplished and offers to us. He's sharing the gospel to the point that the entire imperial guard knows why he's in chains. They're like, oh gosh, it's Paul again. The chains, it's good news, and, sorry, in this good news of Jesus that Paul's proclaiming to the imperial guard, this good news of Jesus cannot be shackled by a chain of persecution. This gospel isn't bound, it's not hindered, it's advancing and the chains can't stop it. The chain of persecution has been broken by faithful proclamation of the gospel in the midst of persecution. The chain of persecution has been broken by faithful proclamation of the gospel in the midst a persecution. The gospel is unchained. But Paul is not just the only one proclaiming Christ. Look what he says in verse 14. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because of his chains, most of the brothers and sisters are now emboldened to share the gospel. Courage in the kingdom is contagious. Courage in the kingdom is contagious. There's a phrase that's been around for many, many, many uh, decades and centuries that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because when the church is persecuted, when the gospel is persecuted, in, even in that pain, the gospel advances. And so what does this mean for us? Like I just already said, we, we live in America. I mean, it's not really that difficult here yet. Um, and for many of us, persecution just kind of feels really far away, or at least it should. At least it should. Like we really aren't persecuted. Maybe you just need to hear that today. We've got brothers and sisters that are in dire straits. We are good. So it may feel really far off for us, but what, there are certain, I think, pressures though that we feel, certain pressures that we feel now that are hindering you from sharing the gospel instead of advancing the gospel. What pressures do you feel that maybe make you retreat a little bit? Is there cultural pressures? Like we live in a world where there's a, a vast polarization between what, the, the, what Christianity and the gospel teaches and what the world views as important and true. And the polarization has been there for some time, but what's happening more is that the polarization has turned into, instead of being like, you have your, your thing, you kind of keep it to yourself, now there's ridicule tied to us. It's no longer like you kind of believe your thing, that's okay. Now it's like, I, I think you're actually bad for society. So is there cultural pressure that makes you want to retreat a little bit, or maybe, maybe you're just here and you feel like you don't know enough about Jesus to share the gospel. And let me just lovingly tell you, that's a lie. It's a lie. If you're a Christian in this room today, if you have faith in Christ and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you have all the knowledge that you need because the way into the kingdom is the way to spread the gospel. You can tell your, your friend, your coworker, your family member about Christ's grace, about your need for grace, and that God desires to reconcile you back to him. If, if you can be a Christian, you can share the gospel. Now, there might be questions that you think you need to know the answers to, and there might be tough conversations out there. And you can tell people, it's okay to say like, I don't know, let me study and get back to you. But you, sh you have enough to preach Christ if you are in Christ. What is causing you to retreat? Because I, I wanna tell you today, I wanna encourage you today, just think about the fact that there was more cultural pressure in Rome and in Philippi than what we experience now. You think there's cultural pressure here? There was way more cultural pressure in Rome and in Philippi, and yet here we are in Jonesboro, Arkansas, in 2022, talking about the gospel, 
No pressure or persecution across 2,000 years has been able to chain the gospel. Do you understand that? Did you know? I've got a map I printed, or a, a set. Did you know that Jonesboro, Arkansas, I don't know if it comes up or not yet. Jonesboro, Arkansas is 6,590 miles away from Jerusalem. Where Jesus was, I mean, you can see that's, that's a long way. Where Jesus was, where he lived, where he died, where he rose again, 6,590 miles away from Jerusalem is, is where we live. And 5,195 miles away from Rome where Paul was imprisoned and where they were trying to snuff out the gospel. Almost 6,600 miles from Jerusalem, almost 5,200 miles away from Rome and 2,000 years later and here we are talking about Jesus. And not just here in Jonesboro, when we pray with, our, with Brooks before we put him to bed on Saturday nights, we always pray, man, God bless the services that are going on right now in Australia, in Japan, in New Zealand. The gospel has advanced, not just from Jerusalem to Jonesboro, but Jerusalem to the world. Take heart, church. The chain of persecution on the gospel has never bound it for good. Instead, the gospel advances across cultures, across times, across time zones, across millennia. Jesus is still king and in moving his kingdom forward. The chain of persecution cannot chain the gospel. But as we keep reading, we see a second chain being applied to the gospel. Pick it up in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim it out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The second chain that we see applied to the gospel is the chain of hypocrisy. Now, what do I mean by the chain of hypocrisy? Well, if you look at the Oxford definition of hypocrisy, here's what it says. The Oxford definition of hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Pretense. I mean, that word literally was in the text. Pretense. This is the chain of hypocrisy. The essence here is to attempt to not so much stifle the gospel because they're preaching Christ, but it's to stifle the gospeler, the one proclaiming the good news. So how is that hypocrisy? Well, if you think about the message of the gospel, what's the message of the gospel? Well, one of the fruits of the message is that the gospel creates unity and it creates humility. We see that in chapter two, 
Actually, we'll see that in chapter one and chapter two of Philippians. It creates unity and it creates humility. And so there's a group proclaiming and preaching Christ, proclaiming this gospel that should be creating unity and humility. And instead it's, it's done with a heart motivation of rivalry and envy. Now, not much is known exactly about who this group was. There's different theories that I've read. Some say it's possible that there were church leaders in Rome who just didn't like Paul. They were jealous of his influence, maybe. Maybe possible church leaders who just disagreed with Paul on like secondary issues. You know, it's hard to imagine disagreement in church. It's not new to us. And so, like, Paul will correct disagreement on the gospel. You read Galatians, you, read, you look at Acts. Like, he will confront disagreement on the primary thing. But, but on secondary issues, maybe they just disagreed on some things. And maybe, you know, you see in 1 Corinthians where in the, when he writes to the Corinthian church, he's like, some of you say I follow Apollos, some of you say I follow Paul. Even then, they had their favorite pastors. And he's like, no, 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 we follow Christ. So it could be just one of those scenarios where there's, man, I don't like Paul. I'm gonna continue to preach and stir up problems for him because any way you slice it, no matter who this group actually is, it seems that they are brothers and sisters. And he says that those who are preaching Christ, a message of humility and a message of unity and a message of grace, they're doing it with the motivation of envy, of rivalry, and of selfish ambition to stir up more affliction for their brother. It's the epitome of hypocrisy. And so the chain of hypocrisy, while the chain of persecution comes from outside the church on the church and on the gospel, this chain, the chain of hypocrisy typically comes from inside the church. It comes in similar forms today that we see it in the text. It, comes through rivalry and envy. I remember um, just confession time, uh, late 2000s, I um, was leading a college group uh, when Journey was just a college ministry at the time. And uh, I had a group of guys that I would meet with. And I remember, you know, like when, when they're freshmen and they come to school, um, it's all exciting. So you might pick up some new guys in your group or whatever. And then, but they have friends that go to other churches or, or other ministry groups. and so. I remember like one year in particular, I had a few guys that came for a few weeks. I thought we were building good, you know, just, just good camaraderie. And then next thing I know, I find out they're visiting another church and another college ministry. And I remember in the time, I was in my late 20s, I, re I remember feeling a lot of this, a lot of rivalry, a lot of envy. And even, even one of the churches that one of them were going to, I knew, I knew the college pastor personally. And him and I had differences on secondary issues. Um, and in that, mo in that time, I, I, was, I was a little more hard-headed. And, and I, would, I, I just felt this bitterness that started to well up in me towards him and eventually even towards that church and towards those kids, those young adults that were leaving my group to go there. I've seen this play out and bitterness can happen over success of another church, of another pastor. Actually, had to reach out to him years later. He's no longer does ministry here, but, and, and just confess that to him and tell him that I was wrong. Because bitterness, like, like Jed said earlier, when, bitterness is not from God. And when it takes root, it's disastrous. So 
Rivalry and envy can happen within the, the larger context of the church between churches, but it can also happen within the local church. We can have rivalry and envy with one another over certain gifts. I wish I, wish I could do that better. Why, why does she, why is she so good at encouragement? I wish I was like that. Why is he so good at singing? I wish, I wish I was like that. Instead of being like able to celebrate that in them, you become envious of that. You can have rivalry or envy over influence. I wish, I wish I was on stage. I wish I was a small group leader. Don't they know how awesome I would be? You can have rivalry or envy over areas of service. I got stuck in the kid's wing when I wanna be in the media booth. And a lot of times, even if, especially if there's gifts that you actually have that you wanna serve with, that's a good thing. But what can seep into that good motivation is some selfish ambition. And that's what he says in verse 17. The former proclaim Christ but they do it out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. These are all the chain of hypocrisy that the enemy wants to use to stifle the gospel's effects within a church. And he does it, listen to me, this is important. He does it by taking our focus off of Jesus and putting it on ourselves. The chain of hypocrisy, the allure of that scheme is to take our focus off of Jesus and focus on ourselves. But at the same time, that's how you break the chain of hypocrisy on the gospel. You break it by actually leaning into the actual news of the gospel and shifting your eyes back to Jesus. Because the gospel is about the love of God to reconcile sinners to himself, making us family with him. Paul says in verse 15 and 16, others preach Christ from goodwill. They do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And then he would say at 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Paul sees Jesus as the center of the mission. Not himself, not his comfort, not his influence. Like his influence is minimal. He's locked up in a prison and yet he's rejoicing because Jesus is the center of the mission. Jesus and his goodwill and love toward us is the center of mission. See, what really matters is that this good news is proclaimed. That's what matters. And because the good news is proclaimed, Paul can rejoice. The way to break the chain of hypocrisy within the church is not to stop preaching Christ. It's not like, oh, I got this rivalry and envy in my heart, I just need to be quiet. That's also a scheme of the enemy. Look how bad you are. You just don't need to share the gospel. What a hypocrite. 
No, no, no. The, the, the way we break the chain is not to stop preaching Christ. The way to break the chain of hypocrisy on preaching the gospel in the church is to see Jesus as the center of the mission of God instead of ourselves as the center of the mission of God. And seeing, seeing the goodwill and love toward us in Jesus is actually how we're empowered to proclaim the gospel out of goodwill and love for one another and for Christ. When Jesus is central to our mission instead of us, when he's the one at the center, we can rejoice no matter what might befall us, persecution, hypocrisy. When he's at the center, we can rejoice no matter what might befall us because Jesus is being preached and he's drawing people to himself. And remember, th this is a scheme. It's a scheme of the enemy because he can't snatch you out of the Father's hand. He can't snatch you out of the Father's hand, but he can snatch the joy and the power of the gospel in your life through comparison. He can snatch the joy and power of the gospel right out of your life through comparison. So ask yourself, like where do you find yourself comparing yourself to others in the church. Think about it. Where do you find yourself comparing yourself to others? Is it in your gifts? I wish I had that gift. Is it influence? Is it opportunities? Maybe you have the gift and you're just waiting on somebody to ask you to serve. Is there jealousy? Like I'm over here serving and they're over there just getting to sing, listen to preaching. It's so easy in our flesh for bitterness and envy and rivalry to sink in. Where do you find yourself naturally kind of comparing yourself to others? Can I just encourage you right now to allow yourself just for a moment, allow yourself just for a moment to consider the way that rivalry and envy can create bitterness and the way that bitterness actually impairs you spiritually and emotionally. Because it will, it impairs you, it hinders you spiritually and emotionally. And then imagine how freeing it would actually be to recenter your life on Jesus to recenter your service of him on him. And then you can celebrate all the ways that he's working in you and all the ways he chooses to work in the lives of others in our church and celebrate the way he's working in other churches in our city. Recenter on Jesus. So just a quick summary, we see that the chains of persecution applied to the gospel are actually broken through faithful and emboldened proclamation of the gospel. And then we see that the chains of hypocrisy applied to the gospel are broken through recentering our mission around the love and goodwill toward us in Christ. But that's great in theory. 
how do we actually harness that energy? How do we actually unchain the gospel in our own lives? What's the perspective that we need to do that? And that's how we're gonna close. I think the perspective is actually littered throughout the text. We could talk about the fact that Paul calls himself a servant in verse one. And how he says, like, not only is he a servant, the circumstances are too. They serve to advance the gospel. But what I want to hone in on again is verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The perspective that unleashes the power of the gospel the perspective that unleashes the power of the gospel to burst the chains of persecution and to burst the chains of hypocrisy and all other chains that the enemy tries to bind the advancement of the gospel with is this. Look at me, church. What's the perspective? It's confidence in the God of the gospel. Confidence in the God of the gospel. That's what we see in verse 14. Having become confident in who? In the Lord. In the Lord. And it's interesting. First, look at the word confidence. The, the word that's translated confidence also carries an idea of persuasion or trust. And so it's interesting that he says that, that they've become emboldened by confidence in the Lord. And then he says, by my chains. Like what would cause someone to be persuaded to have confidence in God when he would allow Paul to be in chains? You would think that they were confident in spite of the chains, but Paul saw it says that they're confident in the God of the gospel because of the chains. The God of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that God made a way to reconcile a wayward and sinful and rebellious people that he loved back to himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ was the height of persecution and hypocrisy. The only truly, truly, uh, just persecuted man that could never have deserved it is hanging on a Roman cross and just the utter hypocrisy that Rome thinks that they have the power to kill God and the utter hypocrisy that those religious leaders thought they were doing God a favor. The cross of Jesus Christ is the utter height of persecution and hypocrisy and yet God in the darkest day of history is sovereign over all of that to work it to your good, your salvation. The power and joy of the gospel. Hebrews says that, that Jesus hung on the cross for the joy set before him. That in the moment that was the darkest of all time, God was at work over that for your good. God's sovereignty, God can be sovereign. If he can be sovereign over the cross of Jesus Christ, then the God of the gospel can be sovereign over the persecution of his own and every other chain in your life. 
the perspective we need is in the God of the gospel. To see him, to recenter our life on him because the power of the gospel and the confidence of the sovereignty of Jesus drove out fear and emboldened them to share the gospel. That's it. That's it. There's no magic spell, no specific prayer that they had to pray. There's no miracle, then confidence. No, Paul's still in chains and they're emboldened. They had a confidence that Jesus was building his church Even with one of the missionaries in chains, Jesus was building his church and the gates of hell had no shot. Confidence in the God of the gospel. And when we see the God of the gospel as the one who loves us and comes to redeem us through something as dark as the cross of Jesus Christ, we can be confident in all circumstances that the gospel will advance unchained in our lives and through our lives to the lives of others. So as we close, a couple calls to action for you today. If you're here and would call yourself a, a Christ follower, like some of you just don't have confidence in the Lord right now because of some circumstances in your life. Like there are circumstances in your life right now that are covering your ears from hearing Jesus. There are circumstances in your life that are blocking your vision of God and your circumstances, just to be honest, if you're honest with yourself, your circumstances are speaking a stronger word to you than Jesus and it's killing your joy. Are you waiting like like when Paul was in prison in Philippi and God did send an earthquake that time? are Are you waiting for some miracle so that you can now have confidence? Are you waiting for deliverance to then find your confidence and joy? How might focusing on a loving King Jesus who's sovereign over your life and over the world, how might that cause you to have confidence no matter deliverance or not? Christ follower, the the second thing I'd ask is, are you being stunted in your joy because of comparison and envy? because that will stunt you. You will shrivel up in bitterness. If that's you, would you repent of your false motives and ask Jesus to help you see him clearly as the center and point of your life? I realize those are two heavier questions and a couple of minutes is not gonna be enough time, possibly. Maybe maybe the Spirit's bringing something to your mind right now and praise God if he is. But what I would ask you to do is prayerfully consider this week. 
prayerfully consider, are there things that are robbing me of confidence? What are the things in my life that I can think I'm confident and if that happens, man, it's shot immediately. What are those things in your life? Are there areas I'm comparing myself to others and I'm bitter and I'm envy about it in the church? Think about those things because here's why it's important. It's not just some sermon application. My desire is for you to walk in fullness of joy. That's the desire I have for my own life. And if there's a place in your life where the, the confidence can be shot easily or there's comparison, the strategy of the enemy will be to attack that spot. We've got to be wise and know our hearts. Consider that, brothers and sisters. In closing, if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, you just need the gospel to advance into your life. That's, that's what you need, and you need to repent and believe today. Because here's the deal. I, believe, I was a Christian in college, but I totally believed what I'm about to say wasn't true. I want to tell you, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I just want to tell you this. Jesus is not here to put you in chains. He's not here to put you in chains. He's here to set you free. And 1 John 5, 12 says that whoever has the Son, that's Jesus, has life. If you're here today and you don't have the Son, I would, I would just ask you to humbly repent. Say, God, I want you in my life. I want to follow you all my days. Would you help me do that? I believe that you are where life is found. Wherever you are, whatever is going on, as we pray and we sing, may the Lord do work in your heart for the goodness of his name and for your deepest joy. So that the chains of persecution and the chains of hypocrisy would have no hold on you because they have no hold on the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we know that for those who love you, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to your purposes. Just how vast is your wisdom, Father? How lofty are your ways? How Beautiful is your love and powerful your gospel to be able to work in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hypocrisy for our salvation and for the advancement of your kingdom through your word proclaimed. Jesus, would you grant us boldness to proclaim your name to the ends of the earth in easy places like Jonesboro and also tougher places here in America and abroad. Call us to preach Christ. Father, maybe someone here is actually being called to go on the trips that we have talked about already, the mission trips that we are sending out. Maybe you're moving people's hearts to go and preach you there this year. 
And maybe you're even moving in someone's heart today to transplant their life to a new place for the advancement of the gospel here or even overseas, Lord. I just ask that you have your way in me and in us, King Jesus, you, the one who sets us free, be the center of our mission. It's for your beautiful and powerful name I pray, amen.